This is the Poetry Foundation's Essential American Poets podcast. Essential American Poets is an online audio poetry collection. The poets included in the collection were selected in 2006 by Donald Hall when he was Poet Laureate. Recordings of the poets he selected are available online at poetryfoundation.org and poetryarchive.org. In this edition of the podcast, we'll hear poems by Galway Cannell. Galway Cannell was born in Rhode Island in 1927. He attended Princeton University, where he became friends with classmate W.S. Merwin. Cannell served in the United States Navy and subsequently traveled throughout Europe and the Middle East. His first book of poems, What a Kingdom It Was, came out in 1960 and was written with a traditional Christian sensibility. His later work would delve differently into questions of the self, turning from religion to focus instead on the physical universe. Cannell's social activism has fed into his poetry. The Book of Nightmares, a book-length poem, drew on his experiences during the 1960s as a civil rights worker in Louisiana and a protester of the Vietnam War. He has written, Nobody would write poetry if the world seemed perfect. Children and animals figure prominently in Cannell's writing. His basic, declarative syntax often produces a matter-of-fact tone, even in poems that find a hunter transforming into a bear. Cannell does not distinguish between nature poetry and other kinds of poetry, finding political and social implications for people in the lives of other creatures. Cannell's honors include the Pulitzer Prize, the National Book Award, and a MacArthur Fellowship. He's also served as the Poet Laureate of Vermont, where he now lives. The following poems were recorded in New York City in 2008. After making love, we hear footsteps. For I can snore like a bullhorn, or play loud music, or sit up talking with any reasonably sober Irishman, and Fergus will only sink deeper into his dreamless sleep which goes by all in one flash. But let there be that heavy breathing, or a stifled cum-cry anywhere in the house, and he will wrench himself awake and make for it on the run. As now we lie together, after making love, quiet, touching along the length of our bodies, familiar touch of the long-married, and he appears in his baseball pajamas, it happens, the neck opening so small he has to screw them on, and flops down between us and hugs us and snuggles himself to sleep, his face gleaming with satisfaction at being this very child. In the half-darkness, we look at each other and smile and touch arms across this little, startlingly muscled body, this one whom habit of memory propels to the ground of his making. Sleeper, only the mortal sounds can sing awake. This blessing love gives again into our arms. I'm going to read now the very last part of a poem called The Seekonk Woods. I want to crawl face down in the fields and graze on the wild berries, my clothes stained pink, even for seven years, if I must, if they exist. I want to lie out on my back under the thousand stars and think my way up among them. 
through them, and a little distance past them, and attain a moment of absolute ignorance, if I can, if human mentality lets us. I have always intended to live forever, but not until now, to live now. The moment I have done one or the other, I here swear, no one will have to drag me, I'll come. But never will I agree to burn my words. The poplar logs creosoted asleep under the tracks have stopped snoring. The bow saws at G, an oak leaf rattles on its tree. The rails may never meet, O fellow Euclideans, for you, for me. So what if we groan? That's our noise. Laughter is our stuttering in a language we can't speak yet. Behind, the world made of wishes goes dark. Ahead, if not now, then never, shines what is. St. Francis and the Sow The bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower, for everything flowers from within of self-blessing. Though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on its brow of the flower, and retell it in words and in touch, it is lovely until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. As St. Francis put his hand on the creased forehead of the sow and told her in words and in touch, Blessings of earth on the sow, and the sow began remembering all down her thick length, from the earthen snout all the way through the fodder and slops to the spiritual curl of the tail, from the hard spininess spiked out from the spine down through the great broken heart to the sheer blue milken dreaminess spurting and shuddering from the fourteen teats into the fourteen mouths sucking and blowing beneath them the long perfect loveliness of sow rapture i can feel she has got out of bed that means it is 7 a.m. I have been lying with eyes shut, thinking, or possibly dreaming, of how she might look if, at breakfast, I spoke about the hidden place in her, which to me is like a soprano's tremolo, and right then over toast and bramble jelly, if such things are possible, she came. I imagine she would show it while trying to conceal it. I imagine her hair would fall about her face, and she would become apparently downcast, as she does at a concert when she is moved. The hypnopompic play passes, and I open my eyes, and there she is, next to the bed, bending to a low drawer, picking over various small, smooth, black, white, and pink items of underwear. She bends so low her back runs parallel to the earth, but there is no sway in it. There is little burden. The day has hardly begun. 
The two mounds of muscles for walking, leaping, love-making, lift toward the east. What can I say? Simile is useless. There is nothing like them on earth. Her breasts fall full. The nipples are deep pink in the glare, shining up through the iron bars of the gate under the earth, where those who could not love press, wanting to be born again. I reach out and take her wrist, and she falls back into bed and at once starts unbuttoning my pajamas. Later, when I open my eyes, there she is again, rummaging in the same low drawer. The clock shows eight, hmm, with huge, silent effort of great, mounded muscles, the earth has been turning. She takes a piece of silken cloth from the drawer and stands up under the folds of hair. Her face has become quiet and downcast, as if she will be all day among strangers, looking down inside herself at our rapture. This poem is called Parkinson's Disease. While spoon-feeding him with one hand, she holds his hand with her other hand, or rather lets it rest on top of his, which is permanently clenched shut. When he turns his head away, she reaches around and puts in the spoonful blind. He will not accept the next morsel until he has completely chewed this one. His bright squint tells her he finds the shrimp she has just put in delicious. Next to the voice and touch of those we love, food may be our last pleasure on earth. A man on death row takes his T-bone in small bites and swishes each sip of the jug wine around in his mouth. Tomorrow will be too late for them to jolt this supper out of him. She strokes his head very slowly, as if to cheer up each separate discomforted hair sticking up from its root in his stricken brain. Standing behind him, she presses her cheek to his, kisses his jowl, and his eyes seem to stop seeing and do nothing but emit light. Could heaven be a time after we are dead of remembering the knowledge flesh had from flesh? The flesh of his face is hard, perhaps from years spent facing down others until they fell back, and harder from years of being himself faced down and falling back in his turn, and harder still from all the while frowning and beaming and worrying and shouting and probably letting go in rages. His face softens into a kind of quizzical wince, as if one of the other animals were working at getting the knack of the human smile. When picking up a cookie, he uses both thumb tips to grip it and push it against an index finger to secure it so that he can lift it. She takes him then to the bathroom, where she lowers his pants and removes the wet diaper and holds the spout of the bottle to his old penis until he pisses all he can, then puts on the fresh diaper and pulls up his pants. When they come out, 
She is facing him, walking backwards in front of him and holding his hands, pulling him when he stops, reminding him to step when he forgets and starts to pitch forward. She is leading her old father into the future as far as they can go, and she is walking him back into her childhood where she stood in bare feet on the toes of his shoes, and they fox-trotted on this same rug. I watched them closely. She could be teaching him the last steps that one day she may teach me. At this moment, he glints and shines, as if it will be only a small dislocation for him to pass from this paradise into the next. That was Galway Canal, recorded in New York City in 2008, and used by permission of the author and Houghton Mifflin Company. You've been listening to the Essential American Poets podcast, produced by the Poetry Foundation in collaboration with PoetryArchive.org. To learn more about Galway Canal and other essential American poets, and to hear more poetry, go to poetryfoundation.org.